the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. No better way to end the week than with our good and dear friend Pete Peterson, one of my favorite academics and public intellectuals. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu is his website. You can follow him on Twitter. It's a really interesting um, and uh, vibrant uh, Twitter account, at Pete4CA, the number four, at pete 4 CA Pete, welcome back to the Airways of Phoenix. How you doing, man? Great to be back with you, Seth. Always good to be with you and and uh, to be in Phoenix. Yeah, I love having you. We got to get you here in person one of these days. Yeah. But you know how how do how do how do I fight how do I fight Pepperdine and the weather in in in, in Malibu with Phoenix weather? It's it's hard. It's hard. Uh, and plus, you have all that wonderful intellectual vibrancy going on at your school. So if you ever decide to slum it, let me know, and I'll I'll pitch you up and I'll sh- I'll show you some nice places. Pete, I, I'm glad to have you, uh, as always, but particularly this week, because um, one of the main topics I've been dealing with throughout the week uh, on the show has been education. We got these NAEP results, the National Assessment of Education Progress, known as the Nation's Report Card. There were it, – it wasn't a surprise, but it was, uh, it was an awfully hard second hit after the last results, um, where yeah. uh, we look at where our fourth and eighth graders are right now. When it comes to uh, numeracy and literacy, math and reading, um, talk to me a little bit about that, Pete. What, what are you What are you drawing from all this? Well, I'm hearing. Uh, well, first off, the, the top line results are are concerning. Uh, we are we are seeing drop offs in educational performance. So you start with there, and of course, the next question that's begged is is why is this happening and in that, a number of experts across the board are weighing in. Uh, of course, first and foremost uh, are the shutdowns and the growing awareness that the closure of schools, uh, as much as we were told by some at the time that uh, you could offer just as an effective uh, education uh, across K-12 uh, online as you could in person, is obviously being shown to be false and uh, uh, false in ways that may have uh, long-term implications. Uh, but there are also some uh, that are arguing, and I read a piece on this as well recently, um, that are uh, continuing to argue that uh, social media and uh, the allowance of many in public schools in particular to allow cell phones in the classroom, uh, that some of these trends are have been exacerbated by COVID, but nonetheless, these are trends that we've been seeing now for a couple of years, and so they're arguing uh, that we have to be much more aggressive in our schools about uh, social media and, and cell phones uh, and as simple as that sounds, uh, they're arguing that these, again, when you're looking at fairly young minds in elementary schools and even up through high schools, we're not 
fully developed emotionally or intellectually at that point that uh, that we are seeing uh, the impact of this technology in ways that really is stunting the intellectual growth of uh, America's youth. You, uh, you and I grew up around the same time, Pete, and I yep. remember very clearly um, in the early 80s, and really for a long time after that, that one of the issues that people spoke about a lot uh, with children's development, children's educational processing, that too much TV and that uh, we were losing focus. We were losing our children, were losing the ability to concentrate uh, because of too much television. And, of course, the interruption of commercials and the distractions that led to distraction, distracted minds. Now, I guess kids don't watch TV as much. They're on their phones. They're in front of their screens more. But yep. it, 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 is an, it is a mirroring of that problem. And, of course, when you think about the distance learning or the Zoom education with the closure of schools, we took the problem that you're mentioning, that you're talking about, which was too much screen time, and we said, we'll give them more screen time. Uh, yeah. we, we, we kind of remo- are removing their organs steadily to play off C.S. Lewis and still demanding a function. But we're creating yeah. – I mean, are you telling me – not you, but are, are the professionals really going to sit here and tell me that concentration and focus isn't important – uh, in, in 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 the young mind, in the young child, in the learning in the in the learning student, this is what takes away from all of that, right? Yeah, no, exactly right. And of course, we we see it at the grad level, and yeah. many of our faculty here at the graduate school do not allow cell phones uh, in their classrooms. Uh, but we think about the young, and increasingly, uh, we're seeing. Uh, parents allow kids for uh, to have cell phones as early as you know six, seven, and eight, and uh, certainly some of the reason for that is you you want uh, it's is used as a, a device for safety and a, a point of connection between parents and kids, but invariably and particularly as one works into the tween years and into the teen years. Uh, you and I have spoken at, at length about the deleterious, the negative impact that cell phone, uh, that social media is is having on the ability to uh, think clearly and uh, in a longer term, over a longer term, uh, that is being impacted uh, by uh, these social media platforms. And again, I think... Uh, not certainly not the major cause here. I mean, the, the right, drop off sure. that we've seen sure. in the last few years in these NAEP scores have mostly to do with COVID response, but that is something that is is being raised as a at least a contributing factor. Let's talk too um, about something that I don't think we'll be able to get data on anytime soon, but I I hope someone is doing research on this. And um, it's it's this issue, Pete. Uh, you and I have talked about the ethos of education schools, uh, which train our mm-hmm. teachers. And uh, I was I was thinking about a piece by by a guy who writes for the Wall Street Journal once in a while. He got a master's degree in education, and he was talking about his program 
in uh, in getting his master's degree. Uh, he says we made Black Lives Matter friendship bracelets. We passed around a popsicle stick to designate whose turn it was to talk while professors compelled us to discuss our life traumas. We read poems through the lenses of Marxism and critical race theory and prep for our students doing the same. Now, this is teacher training for elementary and secondary students. This is what the teachers in grad school are doing. It sounds right. like a kindergarten class and a bad one at that. And I'm yep. wondering, you know, we're looking at these math and reading scores plummet. I'm wondering if we might want to think, too, through the idea of what curricula they are being fed. Um, Maybe if NAEP tested levels of wokeness, we'd be really impressed with their proficiency. I say that, you know, sarcastically, but somewhat seriously, too. Yeah, no, isn't it interesting when we see something like this where the respected testing organization essentially delivers – uh, their report card every couple of years to see how school districts are performing. Yeah. The assessment is only in two categories. <laughs> it's in reading and math. Yeah. And uh, beyond that, which we seem to spend an increasing amount of time on, both inside the curriculum of uh, K-12 education and in these graduate schools of education, as you just noted, that's not contributing to the overall proficiency of students and their broader education to uh, perform and engage as as engaged and informed citizens in our democratic republic. Um, but that is where we're spending, uh, and that Wall Street Journal piece was an utter indictment yeah. of many of our schools of education. But it shows that this is where much of this is coming from, and it's one of those uh, kind of nexus points that I think Americans are continuing to become more aware of what I call the awakening to the awakening, that there is a nexus between what's going on in college and what they're seeing out in the public square. And now people are becoming much more aware of what's going on in these graduate schools of education and what they're seeing in their own child's classroom. Yeah, And I think that's an important connection uh, to make. Yeah, let me let me let me push that just a bit as we go into a break, and and you can think about how to scold me when we come back from the break if you want. <laughs> but you and I were focused on the head of the LA Teachers Union uh, about a year and a half ago, saying there's no right. such thing as learning loss, and besides which, our kids are learning other things, like what insurrection means. Here's the thought, maybe for Pepperdine or someone else, cynically, um, maybe maybe have an, a nape test on wokeness. Maybe have a NAEP test on 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 just how well our our students are doing when it comes to understands understanding concepts that might have come out of pedagogy of the oppressed. If someone developed that test, Pepperdine maybe they maybe would see that the students are doing really well, and maybe it's a money maker. All right, you come back with me on that when we come right back. I I do have a serious point underneath this, which is though when we're not teaching what we find to be essential. And we're focusing on all these other ancillary things. Well, the essentials are going to fall by the wayside. We see it in government. And why wouldn't we see it in education? Pete Peterson and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. We're talking a little bit about education uh, and uh, the results that we got this week. Uh, Pete, my... um, my 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 other 
complaint about what's going on with the national assessment or the nation's report card. Uh, I have found this to be true. You're finding it in California. You tweeted about this. Uh, uh, why, why are they holding up on, on, on the state-level test score results? Why are they holding up? Well, one of the things I have found with government reports in the areas I've studied pretty deeply over the past 20, 25 years, one has to do with Department of Health Services and drugs, something known as uh, the household survey, and then one is in education, the the nation's report card, the national assessment, is they make them harder and harder to read. They used to be pretty easy to read. They make them more and more difficult to read. And if you read most scores, uh, most stories about the NAEP scores, Pete, they're they're written about numbers like we went from two nineteen to two sixteen, and people have right. no idea what that means. We used to really have a clear understanding of achievement level results, and the achievement levels were um, basic, proficient, and advanced, and below basic was also part of it, which meant F. So when you dig down into these cross tabs, people can lament that our children are in the fourth and eighth grade failing at proficiency. Proficiency is what we'd expect at about a B minus level. It's about a B minus B level. It's not advanced. But if you look at the below basic numbers, and you have to do a lot of research to get to them, but if you look at them, I want people to know what crisis we're looking at. 37 percent of fourth graders that's almost 40 percent of fourth graders are below basic in reading that means almost 40 percent of fourth graders can't read at eighth grade it's 30 percent it's a third i mean pete this this is this is what they aren't reporting not very much and this really is a crisis yeah it is um and you're right certainly much of the the way in which much of this data is reported can be uh, pretty confusing. They're, they try to deep six the bad news, is what I guess I'm trying to say. Or, oh no, that is, yeah, yeah, that is absolutely happening. Although I will say that one of the positive silver linings of COVID, and we have talked about this before, is that parents are. Uh, newly engaged yes. in yes. what's been going on, yeah. not only in their classrooms, but the fact that they were really forced uh, to engage at levels as teachers, obviously as schools were closing, as as classroom support, as they had uh, classes being held in their own living rooms and, and dining room tables uh, in ways that they haven't before. Um and you're right. I mean, the, the results here are not good. That particular tweet I sent out, uh, the California state education scores really essentially had to be pursued through the courts to request the Department of Education. And it should be noted, uh, this is a statewide election season here in California, and the state school superintendent is one of those positions that's on the ballot, uh, it's being held by an incumbent who has not been very forthcoming in 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 releasing these. But a nonprofit called EdSource yeah. essentially forced and pursued the Department of Education to release the data. But just to throw out another data point, um, the Los Angeles Times is reporting that student scores in Los Angeles uh, are. Uh, demonstrate that 72 percent are failing to meet math standards yeah yeah 72 percent 
this 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 is obviously a catastrophe, if not a crisis. And, you know, one of the things I've been talking with experts uh, during the week on the show and off, you know, what what can parents do? Parents have have done yeoman's work on this front over the last couple of years, of course, having been forced to and waking up to what's going on. But, you know, one of the things parents can do is encourage reading at home, even if their children can't read, reading to them. There are things parents can do to kind of get do their best to get their kids back up to speed, their children back up to um, to some levels of, of literacy or proficiency. But one of the interesting things, too, is I think is important to point out that reading and math, both obviously hugely important, but if you can't read, you can't do math. Um, right. You know, math does require literacy. You can't solve for X. You can't solve a problem if you can't if you can't read read the question, right? Yeah, that's right. And on that score, fifty eight percent of Los Angeles students are not uh, at the proficiency yeah. level in reading. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, end of day for uh, all the money we're putting it in. This is kind of the irony of the times we live in, too, Pete, isn't it? Maybe this transitions into some election talk a little bit, but you think about how advanced a society we have become, particularly the speed of advancement over the last 20 years with technology, how much access we have to knowledge, how much access we have to facts and and learning. Uh, You can, from your phone, find a book on a library shelf in India today. Unheard of. Uh, You know, that kind of thing. Obviously, gobs more money. I think we spend close to $800 billion a year all in on K-12 education in America every year. Huge amounts of money like never before. And yet we're doing worse. Uh, And yet age expectancy, life expectancy going down about three years in a row. These are things that are unheard of in a Western developed society. Um, yes, drugs are part of that too, but they shouldn't be. But they are. Um, that that's a, that's a growing problem. I mean, it's an odd thing with the advancement, the accessibility, and the money that we are doing worse when we should be doing better. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, this is not a money problem uh, by and large. It's not to say that you know there may be some districts and other places, certainly in other states, where there's not sufficient funding. In California, uh, the budgets are significant um, in support of education, and we are ranked usually, depending on the particular evaluation, between 47th and 50th in literacy. Right. Right. So these are other issues at stake, and you're right to say that the technology available uh, to assist in in education is at a scale and scope that we've never seen before. Um, but certainly what we're seeing in this latest round of national test scores broken out uh, by the states is these last three years uh, have seen us walk back. Gains that were happening, modest yeah. as they may have been, yeah. but the preceding years leading up to 2019 showed some gains both in reading and math scores across large parts of the country. But this was an utter wake-up call, this yeah. report here from 2019 to 2022. That's right. Probably the second most important or well-known education report that came out of um, that came out, out uh, ever was uh, A Nation at Risk in 1983. Yep. And, and, and the call there was, 
warning against a rising tide of mediocrity. What we wouldn't do for that rising tide of mediocrity today when we're at a steady ebb of decline. Let me pick up on some political stuff with you when we come right back, if that's okay, Pete. For sure. You betcha. Pete Peterson is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Fantastic university. Fantastic school. Check it out at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the dean at the public po- at uh, the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Follow him on Twitter at Pete4CA, the number 4CA. And Pete, thinking about some of the issues uh, going into this election, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about some of that litany I just read, our education scores plummeting, uh, drug use rising, uh, more serious drug threat we've had from fentanyl than ever any other drug threat before, according to the DEA last week, uh, age expectancy, life expectancy going down, cost of living going up. You know, one of the things I'm wondering about is, and, and we saw this in California, I guess, with some of the recall stuff, people you would think would be marching to their local Republican Party headquarters to register as Republicans and vote to stop and change this. Um, California's had a few opportunities to even do recalls of these things. Doesn't seem to happen. Is there such a hardened left or liberalism in this country that prevents it? Is there ideological rigidness um, or is it some part and parcel of a large percentage of us kind of getting used to decadence and decline. I wonder if any of that, maybe there's a fourth or fifth thought you have on that, too, that I'm overlooking. The increasing identification that people find in their political parties, uh, that certainly can be both on the right and left. But one of the things that I can say in exploring that question here in California, where Really, across a whole array of issues, uh, one of our alumni, by the way, is is running against that aforementioned incumbent for superintendent of California oh, okay. schools. Okay. Uh, his name is Lance Christensen. Oh and yeah, great, great, on, great, great, great. Yeah. On any, you know, by any metric, <laughs> if you cared about education, there is no way you would vote for the incumbent. And chances are the incumbent is probably going to win. Okay, that's my so, point. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, that's right? the question. So right. how does something, or or like Alani Chen we've talked about right. before, who's uh, a friend of mine is up at the Hoover Institution. Most qualified is person controller. to do anything. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no comparison between his background and experience and the person he's running against who's not an incumbent. Yeah. Uh, for for controller here of the state, but it's still going to be an uphill battle. Why does that happen? I think it does come down to uh, the fact that people identify themselves in a certain way politically, and it's very hard for people to break away from that identity when they step into the voting booth. Now, one of the interesting lenses on that, where you see people breaking away from their political identity, at least in California, is when you see them vote on ballot measures. Because in California, yeah, yeah. you know, and this is going back years, yeah. on ballot measures that have some sort of either educational component or uh, cultural component, you will generally tend to see California voters vote more conservatively on yeah. these issues. And 
Of course, we have Prop 1 on the ballot this coming November, which is the uh, essentially would make uh, abortion a constitutional right here in the state of California. I'm curious to see how that's going to break, even in a deep blue state like California, yeah. because I, in the very least, I don't think we're going to see a split along party lines on that, no, because I don't people will be no. breaking away from that identity on particular issues. And they did that with even in 2020, only a couple years ago, on affirmative race-based affirmative That's action right. too. Didn't perfect tell, case in point. Yep. That, right? They 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 doubled down on 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 the old Ward Connerly initiative, didn't they? That's right. Which yep. uh, which which says you can't use race as a judgment uh, for what uh, public services and education is that what it was? Public. Uh, That's right. Yeah, hiring. Yeah. yeah public and hiring and education. Yep. And 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 so maybe maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's a cosmetic issue with the Republican Party. I don't know. I don't know. I have been told for years that the Republican Party in California is in and of itself, uh, you know, just not 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 a viable not a viable thing. Uh, is is that, you look at these you look at the these particular issues though that are that are clearly Republican Party issues. And you'd think it could be and should be a viable thing. But then again, you also look at the media and you look at the state of the major cities there. And 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 they aren't there aren't a lot of yeah. Republicans in the major cities. I, you and I looked this up once together on a, on a previous interview. Literally, San Francisco has seven percent registered Republicans. Literally. I mean, I don't even know how you yeah. find that on a pie. Let me take a quick break. We'll pick up on the election generally, too, if we can, Pete. I'd love to talk sure. to you about some of the other issues facing uh, the rest of the country. Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. We lament uh, certain higher education, most of it. I do anyway. I'll speak for myself. Pepperdine School of Public Policy is the answer. It is the solution. Pete and his team are doing a great job over there. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If a song mentions Jamaica, I suppose that will be my tip of the hat to Pete's uh, to Pete's musical career in ska music. That's the best I'm going to do, though, even if it is soft rock. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. We agree on almost everything, I think, except music. And uh, anyway, (laughs) Pete, I've been throwing this at my audience. I'd love your thoughts on it. It's related to some of what we've been talking about. We see poll after poll about what what is animating most voters, what their top concerns are going into November 8th. And uh, economy and economy-related issues like inflation seem to be uh, pervasively the number one issue. And I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that even if the economy were humming like a top, we wouldn't be at about where we are with the blue-red, with the Republican-Democrat uh, divide and closeness right now. Um, you know, there's an awful lot that motivated independents and conservatives, even just common sense traditionalists, over the last couple of years, irrespective, irrespective of and unrelated to the economy, what was going on in our schools, the re-racialization, mm-hmm. the sexualization mm-hmm. of our children, um, that sort of stuff. The FBI um, and its abuse of power, the weaponization of it against parents showing up at school. I mean, there's a lot in the culture that people were very upset about that you don't hear much as much about lately. Um, but it seems to me, 
uh, that people voting R might be voting for a whole host of things that aren't just related. I haven't even mentioned the border that are that aren't just economically related. But I wonder what you think on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we can we can look back just to the Glenn Youngkin race, okay, right, good, which good. Uh, is, I think, a template for or the New Jersey uh, gubernatorial race, uh, which were early enough to have the economy be somewhat a, fa- a factor, but certainly not the predominant factor that we're we're seeing today with with gas prices and um, inflation impacts uh, being you know a, a year into uh, what we're experiencing today, and certainly those those races did have these other issues around education to a degree yep. with crime yep. uh you know these so-called quality of life issues um and um you know the expense of living in particular yep. places as well i know that was a in the polling in the new jersey race yep. that was a major frustration of the yep. voters uh in in voting the way that they did so I think you're right. There was a there was a pretty solid foundation there, even before these economic factors have become um, certainly more influential in voters' minds. Uh, but that is something that Republicans are going to have to find ways to address. I think most economists think that there aren't immediate fixes to inflation, but of course. Congress can have and make signals to the market that some of the crazy spending that we've seen both proposed and passed in uh, D.C. over the last year or so, uh, there need to be different signals made to the market for sure. Do you take a read um, or, 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 or a takeaway from assuming Republicans win House and Senate for a moment, if we assume that? Uh, two looks at it. Do you take any kind of read if the win is marginal as opposed to if it's big? So if the Senate goes Republican by 51-49 or 52-48, that's maybe one set of analyses. If it's 54-55, which some people are speculating it could be, is that a different set of analysis? Is that is that is Are the people I saying do. something different? Yeah, I mean, I'll divulge. I had a had lunch uh, here in Malibu recently with uh, former Congressman David Dreyer. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, my old Claremont guy. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's right. And we were talking about uh, politics with a, a small group of folks and certainly what's going on around the country. And he reminded everybody of the election, the big change in 94 yeah. that happened that swept a lot of Republicans yeah. in. And the, these kinds of wave elections, which he what's going on now really has made him think a lot about 94. There were a lot of Republicans that never thought it didn't look like they were going to win. And they just got swept in on the wave. Some of them were only in Congress for one or two terms. That's right. We, we, I remember that now that you mentioned right. it, I believe we took out the, Tom Foley at one point. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. So, you know, and this election could take out the the congressman who's head of the DCCC, uh, the the congressman from New York State. Oh, oh yeah, the Democratic so, Congressional, yeah, campaign committee. That's right. That's right. Right. Okay. So, you know, uh, to your point, I do think we analyze these things differently if it is a major sweep. Now, on the Senate side, you know, you're pinpointing a few races 
here and there. And I think some of these races are kind of sui generis. Yeah. Right? They have their own story to them. Right. But so if someone if might not number, vote for Herschel Walker. For, of a wave. Yeah, yeah. What what might mo- motivate someone to vote for Herschel Walker isn't necessarily the same thing that motivates someone to vote for Blake Masters, for example. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. there there is that. But then again, too, these are statewide. The Senate does comprise a statewide race, and it would say yep. something interesting about the direction of some of these states over which we have a few clouds of question. Arizona is one, Georgia's one. You know, we're not sure yep. which way those states are going right now, generally, not just in the Senate races. Um, people think of Arizona as a rock-ribbed red state. Uh, we have a higher delegation of Democrats to the House than not, than Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know, places change. This place changed. Yep. We'll, we'll we'll see if it uh, we'll we'll see if we can change it back, which is right. the true meaning of revolution. Well, Pete, uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with you. We'll talk again. Um, probably, will we know something when we talk again next time? I think so. I think we'll know something when we talk. I again think we time. will. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see how right we are. And uh, if <laughs> and and how much more we harder we have to work, but I always love checking in with you, and I always love uh, ending my week with you, Pete Peterson. Thank you for everything Thank you, you do, sir. Thank you. Great to be with you. You betcha. Again, Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll close with a final thought when we come right back. If you're worried about stock market volatility, I have an investment opportunity for you with a strong fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. I say I, but it's really our sponsors at Y-Refi. They are offering up an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors for the investment for investors and that investment can be in a trust, it can be in an IRA, it can be an individual or a joint investment. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys. I know them well. And they do well by doing good for others. They do really well by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. That's 855-316-3087. Never a sales pitch. They just talk about what they do and they leave the sales pitch up to me. I was thinking about some of what uh, what we're going into, uh, selections. A lot of you will be voting probably over the weekend or filling out your cards, uh, your your ballots over the weekend. And um, I was thinking about that in the context of my monologue on the First Amendment at the beginning of the hour. <clears throat> I'll close with a sentence I underscored, two sentences I underscored or I underlined in a book I was reading this morning book from one of my favorite uh, political scientists, uh, political theorists. He's been a guest a few or several times on this show. One of the great teachers, one of the great broad-minded public intellectuals, a guy named Hadley Arcus. And um, he was writing, no government can claim to call itself a decent or lawful government if it's not committed to recognizing in first instances the differences that separate the innocent and the guilty, the decent and the corrupt. And it shows its respect for these differences in the most serious manner when it insists on making discriminations between the innocent and the guilty on the most sober and in the most sober 
and reasoned ways. When we think about what we're voting for, when we think about what stamp of approval we are giving to candidates running for public office because of the stamps of approval they will be giving to public policies, I think that's a good way to think about it. What do you want your government to stand for? Do you want it to understand these distinctions between innocence and guilt? Decent and corrupt? We have those choices before us. And all those policies I was talking about with Pete from school and outward, they are corrupt in and of themselves and corrupting of others. We can have public leaders. We have several of them here, several of them running throughout the nation, who can restore us to a government that respects decency over corruption and innocence over guilt. Think of maybe when you vote, voting along those lines. Just what imprimatur are you putting on your candidates and what you want them on behalf of this government to be putting their imprimatur on? You want it on decency or you want it on corruption in every sense of the meaning of that word? All right. Thank you for being part of us this week. I am Seth Liebson. Until Monday, God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.